This is the Oasis Church Podcast. We're located in Athens, Ohio, and we use this podcast feed to primarily post the messages from our Sunday morning church gatherings. If you enjoy this message or if you'd like to know more about Oasis Church, please reach out to us at oasisathens at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you, and we hope that you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Well, I, I just want to warn you, we're going to be in a lot, I should warn Allie, we're going to be in a lot of scripture today. So it, it, because we normally, as a church, we normally just walk through different books of the Bible. So we'll... Uh, We'll pick a book of the Bible to teach through, to preach through, and just stay in that book for some time, however long it takes us. Sometimes I go through it really specifically, verse by verse, and other times I go through it more, um, more uh, I guess, sporadically. Like we went through 1 John, and I didn't really hit every single verse, but we did hit all the big ideas in all of the chapters of 1 John. And so even though 1 John only has five chapters, I think we probably spent eight or nine weeks on it. And so sometimes that'll happen. Like one, one time I went through the book of uh, Romans, and I believe we spent 65 weeks in the book of Romans for a while there um, several years ago. And that's, that's more than a year, obviously, of teaching through the book. But it deserved that. The book of Romans certainly deserved that. So while we're between books of the Bible. I don't have a book of the Bible to begin again today, to begin with us today, to open up again today. What I thought I would do is I would thought I would take an opportunity for a few weeks to just ask and attempt to answer. I'll say it that way, attempt to answer some of Christianity's most difficult questions. And it's sort of a glutton for punishment, I think, to, to, to choose to do that. But I thought that might be a good idea. And so today, because of the question that I'm going to present today and the question that I'm going to try to attempt to answer today through the scripture, we're going to be in a lot of different scriptures, in a lot of different books. And so get your swords of the spirit out and ready today, right? Remember back in youth group, those of you went to, if any of you went to youth group when you were younger, um, they used to have the sword, the sword, the, what, I don't know what they, I can't remember what it was, but the sword drill. The sword drill yeah. So... Paul, Paul calls this the sword of the Spirit, the book of Ephesians, so the, our, our Bibles, because we're going to get some work with them today. We're going to sharpen them, all right? So I'll go ahead and tell you up front what I would like to do. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you up front the, 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 the area that we're going to venture into today, the, 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 the depth of the theology we're going to talk about today is this. I would like us to walk away from here today with the ultimate biblical explanation, okay, for the existence of suffering, all right? Suffering is something that everyone um, understands is in the world, and sometimes we don't understand why. In fact, whenever someone is in the middle of suffering, often the question that comes up is why. In fact, um, for those of you who have experienced family members suffering or friends suffering or perhaps people that, that you know that are outside of Christ um, or even inside of Christ, they may have looked at you for that answer 
And you may have been looking back at them thinking, wow, I wish I could give you a good answer to this. And maybe, maybe, maybe you have. Hopefully you did have a good answer. But my, my goal today then is for us to maybe together get a little better handle on what the Bible says the reason for suffering in this world is. All right? And in doing so, we can't do this without this next thought. My goal, as always, which is my goal every single week, is to magnify Christ in his suffering. In fact, if you notice, every song that we sing, just about every song that we sing, says something about Christ suffering, does it not? Every song that you feel close to heart when you sing it and you feel drawn close to Christ, it's not just about Jesus, it's about Jesus' suffering. In fact, we just spent some time, as we sang one song before the throne of God, and then the song Because He Lives, the entire song is written about what? The suffering of Christ. That moment that you spent thinking about, pondering about, praying about, taking the piece of bread and the, and the, and the cup of juice that represents his body and his blood, what's that about? The suffering of Christ. And so what our goal is in talking about suffering today is to actually not downplay suffering, but to understand that, that there's a, a great reason for it. And in doing so, we magnify Christ in his suffering. And I'd like to do it in such a way that it might free you and me from the really paralyzing effects of discouragement and self-pity and fear and ultimately pride, really, that comes when we are in the middle of suffering and that we would spend the rest of our lives, I mean, I'm talking about the rest of our lives, whether we're able or disabled, spreading a, just a, an under, a, a passionate understanding, right? As, as, you, as you go into conversations with people, it wouldn't just be, well, I hope this is what happened. But no, but no, a passionate understanding and a love for the sovereignty of God over all things, including suffering. Because that's what we're going to talk about today. So before we begin to um, unpack this, as we say, this ultimate biblical explanation for suffering, I want to give you a preliminary statement, okay? And that's this. I believe that this entire universe, and, and I have to say this before, before we begin because this is so vitally important. I believe that the entire universe, everything that we can fathom in our minds, that we can see with telescopes, that we can, that we can imagine everything in this entire universe, I believe exists to display the glory of God. Not just the glory of God, I'll say it this way, the greatness of of the glory of his grace. We could leave that statement simply with, like I said at first, it exists, the entire universe exists to display the greatness of God, the greatness of the glory of God. And that would be true. That is true. But the Bible, and what we're about to see is the Bible is much more specific about the glory of God and, and what, what is it about the glory of God that is so great? And I think that what we have to understand is that whenever the Bible talks about displaying the glory of God and whenever like a song that we sing talks about the glory of God, 
What is it usually talking about in relation to you and me? His grace. His grace. It's the greatness of the glory of his grace. Okay? And so the glory of God then must, what that, must, what that means is that the glory of God, if, if we're all about the glory of God, the glory of God must then shine most brightly, most fully, most significantly and beautifully in every expression of his grace. When his grace is known, then his glory is known even more. These are really important preliminary statements for some things I'm about to say, okay? So when I say that the expression of, or the, 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 the manifestation of, to use a, a, a Bible word, of his grace is the ultimate purpose for the explanation of, of everything, okay? I'm including suffering in that. We're including suffering in that. We have to begin, when, whenever we're dealing with something that's really deep and theological, okay, whenever we're dealing with the question of the problem of pain, you know, as C.S. Lewis calls it, the, or the, the existence of suffering, the existence of sin in the world, things like that, we have to understand God's number one concern. And I, mention, I opened this, I, in my opening prayer, I mentioned this. And I said, I want this statement to linger over us throughout the entire time together because this is so true. God's number one concern, you ever pondered, pondered this? God's number one concern in the universe is that his glory would be revealed. God's number one concern in creating this universe, in creating you and me, in creating everything that we see is that his glory would be revealed. Now, sometimes we have a hard time understanding this concept because we cannot separate God's desire for, for this for himself from our desire for it from ourselves. I think we have a hard time comprehending this in our minds because we know that for us to seek our own glory, that would be the ultimate display of pride. And pride is a sin, and that is true. For us to make our number one concern our own glory to be revealed, then that would be pride, and that would be the root of all sin. But it's the exact opposite for God. We have to understand that God, when the Bible says God is holy, it means God is other. He is not like us at all in this. And so what is not true for us is true for him. And what is true for us is not true for him, especially as it concerns him desiring to seek his own glory. In order for us to comprehend this more fully, we have to understand and we have to come to grips with this truth that God's glory is central to your well-being and your joy, my well-being and my joy, all of us together as people that he created. When he is more glorified, that's when you are better off, when you have more joy. And so what that means is the most loving thing then that God could ever do for you, the most loving thing that he could ever do for me, for any of us, is to glorify himself. We can't say that about ourselves. Why? Because we're sinful people. We can't do that. God is holy. And so, therefore, the most loving thing that God could ever do for you is glorify himself. Why is that true? Here's why. 
Because when God receives glory, we finally see him. We don't see him unless he receives glory. We've got to understand that. So what do you need most? You need God's grace. You need God in your life. You can't see God unless his glory is revealed. Therefore, the most loving thing he could possibly do for you is, is, is have his glory be revealed in this world. And in seeing him, we receive grace. And when we receive grace, we get joy and we get life eternal. This is an eternal truth. And this is something that God had decreed from all eternity to display this, to display the greatness of his glory that, is, that shows up in his grace. And the reason why is for the enjoyment of all the people that he created. That's the reason why. And he revealed to us through his word that this is the ultimate intent and explanation for why there is sin and suffering in the world and why there is a suffering Savior named Jesus, the Son of God who came in the flesh to suffer and to die and by that suffering and death to save undeserving sinners like me, like you, to come and suffer and to die is the highest possible demonstration of glory. That is it. To say it a little differently, maybe a little simpler, the death of Christ in the utmost suffering available to people, which he experienced, is the highest and clearest and surest display of the glory of God and his grace. There is no, better, there is no greater display than that. And what did it come in? What did, this, what did the greatest display of the glory of God and the glory of his grace come in, packed inside? It came packed inside of suffering. If that's true, which I believe it is, and it's not just that I believe it is, I think we're going to go to Scripture and see that it's true, then it also reveals another really, I, I guess it could be a, a, a startling truth for us. And that is this. If that's true, then suffering is an, it's an essential part of the universe that's created by the God that we worship. It's an essential part in which the greatness of his glory and his grace can most fully be revealed. In other words, suffering is an essential part of the, the fabric of this universe so that the weaving of God's grace can be seen for what it really is in the lives of the people that are in this universe. And so if we were to give an answer to that question, what's the reason then for suffering? We would say that the ultimate reason that suffering exists in this universe is so that Christ might display the greatness of the glory of God and his grace. And he does that by suffering in himself in order that he might overcome our suffering. So the suffering of the most innocent being in the universe, the Holy Son of God, in place of the most undeserving sinners, 
as Paul says, he is the most, the least of all, to bring us to joy and to bring us to peace and to bring us eternal life, that is the greatest display of the glory of God that ever was, that there ever could be. So the greatest display of the glory of God is in the suffering of Christ. This has been one of the most, I, as, I, as I pause and take a breath here, because that's a lot of theology I just spit at you, but it's been one of the most enlightening truths for me over the past several years that I, that I go back to again and again. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to, to share it with you today is because uh, I think it's something that we need to always remind ourselves of. In fact, as several years ago, I read um, John Piper's book, Suffering in the Sovereignty of God. And it really helped to make sense of this, of this idea of, of suffering that is experienced in the world and, and why, why is there so much suffering and why does God allow suffering? Why does God permit suffering? Why does God will suffering? However you want to say it. And, and how, that, how is that question to be answered whenever someone asks me? And I wanted, to, I wanted to have a more firm answer instead of just, well, it's not God. Well, that's not true. It, 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 God is in that. God is in it. So if God is in it, then how do I answer it without making God look like a maniac that hates us because he makes us suffer, right? And I think one of the greatest things that we could understand is the biblical answer for that question. And, and, I, and it, it really helped to open my mind to see when I read this book. In fact, much of what I'm sharing with you today has come from that book. If you buy that book and read it, you're going to be like, I heard this before. Yeah, you've heard it in the sermon today, right? I want to read you just a quote that's from that book, and then we're going to jump into a lot of scripture. I promise we are going to get into scripture. But here's a quote from that book. Uh, Piper says this, There could be no greater display of the glory of the grace of God than what happened at Calvary. In conceiving a universe in which to display the glory of his grace, God did not choose plan B. This was the moment, Good Friday as we know it, for which everything in the universe was planned. There could be no greater display of the glory of the grace of God than what happened at Calvary. Everything leading to it and everything flowing from it is explained by it, including all the suffering in the world. Now let's do, uh, finally, the most important thing that we could ever do whenever we discuss any deep theological topic. Let's go to the Bible. <laughs> it's the only way that we can ever be sure of any truth, all right? And I realize that to this point, what I have done is, is I've, 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 I don't want to, I'm not smart and I'm, and I'm, I'm not going to try to make myself smart by spewing all this stuff. Okay. It sounds like high sounding philosophy or theology, but, and so I hope you're still with me because it's so much more than that. It's so, it's so much deeper than that. It's not my idea. It's not any man's idea. It is what the very words of scripture teach. All right. And this, and that's, and that is that suffering and sin as we know it, Suffering and sin, as we know, as, as we know very well exists, in fact, it exists in this world to display the greatness of the glory of God's grace even more than it would have been displayed had sin and suffering not entered the world. In fact, 
God's grace and God's glory would not have been displayed much at all had there not been suffering in this world, which means, as Piper mentioned in that, in that paragraph that I read, that Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb was not plan B. It's so important for us to get that. It was not plan B. It was the plan. God didn't have to choose a plan B because sin and suffering entered the world to his surprise, Right? God wasn't surprised by sin and suffering. That's not, wasn't, and so he had to come up with, well, everything got out of hand, so plan A's not working, so we've got to come up with a plan B. I guess we'll send Jesus to die for them. That's not it. According to the scriptures, that was plan A. God is sovereign, which means he's been in control of every aspect of creation, even before creation. Let's begin with Revelation. So we'll go right to the very end. All right. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. This is John. We've been hearing from John a lot lately. This is the Apostle John, and he writes this. As you see, I hold this way out. I'm getting a large print Bible this week. <laughs> He says this, all who dwell on earth will worship it, which he's referring to uh, the beast. So the, the enemy of God, the great beast, as, as told in Revelation, all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb that was slain. Okay, when we read these things, it's really easy to just read over them without thinking about what it says. This is a really good, careful, literal translation. It's from the ESV. And this means that before the world was created, there was this book called the Book of Life of the Lamb who was slain. Now think about this. Before the world was created, there was a book called the Book of Life of the Lamb who was what? Slain. And that lamb is Jesus Christ, slain is crucified. The book is the book of Jesus Christ, crucified. That's what John is talking about here. That's what was, he pulls out this book that was written before the creation of the world. So before God made the world, he had in mind Jesus Christ slain. He had in mind a people purchased by the blood written in that book. Therefore, the suffering of Jesus was no afterthought, as though the work of creation didn't go the way God had planned. Before the foundation of the world, God had this book, the book of the life of the Lamb, the book of life of the Lamb, who, of the one who was slain. The slaying of the Lamb was in place before the work of creation. Let's consider Timothy, 2 Timothy. So flip to the left. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Paul looks back into eternity before the ages. So that you have eternity past and eternity future and eternity present, right? Just eternity is just no time. I mean, no, there, there is, it's just always. So Paul looks back into eternity before the ages begins, and he says this in 1 Timothy 1, 9. He's saying this, so it begins with who, but he's, he's again, he's referring to God, okay? It says, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, 
not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us. So that is, he gave us this grace, okay? In Christ Jesus, before the ages began. You ever think about what the implications are of these verses when you read them? And it says, before the ages began, God gave us grace. So what is, what is grace? It's undeserved favor. It's favor towards sinners. That's what grace is. He gave us this grace in Christ Jesus when? Before the ages began. So we had not yet been created. We had not yet existed in order that we might sin. But God had already decreed in eternity past, in Christ, a kind of grace. A, a, a grace that would be purchased by his blood. A sin overcoming grace that would come to us in Christ Jesus. And all of that was determined before the creation of the world. So there is this book of life of the Lamb who was slain, and there is a grace that's flowing to undeserved sinners who are not yet created. <laughs> and, don't over, and certainly don't overlook the, the magnitude of, it's not in this verse, but it was in the one we read before, the word slain. I meant to say this when we read the, the word slain in, in the book of Revelation. In the, the Greek word for that word is, is something that I can't even say. It's like, or something like that. I can't even say it very well. But if you, if you want to look up Greek, try to figure it out. And it means literally the lamb who was slain. And, and, and it's used in the New Testament by um, John and in, 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 in obviously in Revelation, but in, in a couple other places. But it means literally, so this word literally means slaughter. Slaughter. So here we have... Suffering, Jesus Christ, the slaughter of the Son of God. In the mind of God, in the plan of God, before the foundation of the world, the Lamb will suffer. He'll be slaughtered. That's the plan. Why? I mean, why? I mean, that's, again, it, it, we can't, it's hard to escape that word why, and maybe some of us are thinking, right now we're thinking that, right? Why? This all seems like a really odd plan. Well, here in a minute, we're going to read the biblical text that tells us the answer. Okay? We're going to read where I, I, the Bible does just clearly give us. This is all sort of background stuff. The Bible does really give us this answer very clearly. But let me just say it again. It's because the intent. Again, we have to understand. the intent. It's God's world. It's not ours. God created it. He's the potter, Paul says in Romans. So he can do whatever he wants to with the clay that he made. And I think we have a hard time with that. We tend, to think that's, we tend to think it's our world. We tend to take ownership of something that we did not create. We tend to make ourselves God, and we are not him. We are the clay. He is the potter. And so whenever we pause to say, I don't get this. This seems like a really weird plan. Well, it's not your plan. You don't get to, you don't get to, to decide if it's fair or not. It's God's plan. And so if we understand that the intent of creation is the fullest and clearest and surest display of the greatness of God and the greatness of the glory of his grace, and that that display would then be most fully seen in the slaughter of the best being in this universe for millions and millions of undeserving sinners, we have to understand that we have to start there. You got to start there. 
that the suffering and the death of the Lamb of God in history is the best possible display of the glory of the grace of God. And that is why God planned it before the foundation of the world. So here's the biblical support for it. First, we'll go to Ephesians 1, and then we'll go to Revelation 5. So back in Revelation, but we'll go to Ephesians 1 first. So Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6, Paul says this. So even as he chose us in him. So God chose us in him. So the pronoun here is he, which is God. God chose us in him, and that is Christ. In Christ, before the foundation of the world. When? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace. So the goal of the entire history of this story of redemption, that's what, when, you, when someone comes to Christ, you've been redeemed. You've been redeemed for him. So the story of redemption, the entire goal of the history of this is to bring about the praise of the glory of the grace of God. That's what he says at the very end of that. Right? To the praise of, the glo- of his glorious grace. It's a different translation, isn't it? Have I been reading a different translation than what's up there? Okay. So, oh, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's the Bible's the Bible. Just some translations are different. It looked like maybe the CSB up there. Maybe, I don't know. ESV? So... The goal of the entire history of this, of this story of redemption is that, is that God's name would be praised, that his grace would be praised. But if you notice that, that twice in these verses, Paul says that this plan happened in Christ or through Christ and when? Before the foundation of the world. In verse 4, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world in order to do what? To bring about the praise of the glory of his grace. The praise of his glorious grace. And in verse 5, God predestined our adoption as sons and daughters. How? Through Christ. When? Before the foundation of the world. Why? To bring about the praise of his glorious grace. So what did he do? What? When did he do it? And why? What? He redeemed us. When? Before the foundation of the world. Why? For the praise of his grace. It's the whole purpose for things, right? How did that all happen? The suffering of Christ. The greatest way that his grace will ever be seen is through suffering, the suffering of Christ. So what that means is that in Christ we are chosen and that our adoption was to happen through Christ. We know that in Paul's mind here, Christ, I mean, as he's writing, we know that he's thinking Christ died, Christ suffered and he died as our Redeemer, so that we might be adopted as children of God, right? Galatians 4, 5 tells us that our adoption could not happen apart from Christ's death. That's Galatians 4, verse 5. So that, that's, that's very connected. So therefore, what Paul means is that to choose us in Christ and to plan to adopt us through Christ was to plan the suffering and death of his son before the foundation of the world. 
And verses 6 and 12 and 14 make that really plain, that the goal of this plan was to do what? To bring about the praise of the glory of the grace of God. That is what God was aiming at all along. It's why he planned the suffering and the death of his son for us sinners before the creation of the world. Now, let's go to one more biblical support for this, and that's Revelation 5, verses 9 and 12. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 12, 9 through 12, I should say. And the context here is that you have hosts of heaven worshiping the Lamb, right? Precisely because he was slain. Because he was killed. Because, just like I said, most of our worship songs include that. Well, that's for a big reason. And it says this. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and a people and, and people and nation. And then verse 11 says, I'm, I'm skipping a little bit here. Then I looked, John says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne all these different beings singing. And he later says myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What does that tell us? Here's what it tells me, that the centerpiece of worship in heaven will be the display of the glory of God's grace in the slaughtered lamb, Jesus. So these myriad of hosts in heaven are focusing their worship not just simply on the Lamb, not just simply on Jesus, but on the Lamb who was slain. And they're still singing this song, this Revelation 15.3 song. So therefore, I think we can conclude that the centerpiece of worship in heaven for all eternity will be the display of the glory of the grace of God in the slaughtered lamb. Angels all along with people who've been redeemed and are there will be singing of the suffering of the lamb of God forever and ever. The suffering of the son of God will never be forgotten. The greatest suffering that ever was will be at the center of our worship and our astonishment forever and ever and ever. It is not an afterthought of God. It was the plan of God from the beginning before the foundation of this world. Therefore, suffering should never surprise us. Everything else is subordinate to this plan. Everything else is put in place for the sake of this plan, the display of the greatness of the glory of the grace of God in suffering, in especially the suffering of his beloved one, Jesus Christ, is the goal of creation and the continuing, and the goal of this entire continuing universe. So all of that now, Think about this with all of that in mind. What does this imply about sin and suffering in our world? Like our world here right now, you and me. What does that imply? I mean, what, what, are, what are we saying? I mean, if you think about this, and this is, I think this is where people get tripped up. According to this divine plan, God 
permits sin to enter the world. Does he not? God ordains what he hates will come to pass. I mean, God hates sin. But if God is sovereign, then he must permit it. Because the only way suffering and the suffering of the Lamb could exist would be through sin. And so this is where our brains get really twisted up. That a perfect God might permit or ordain that what he hates would come to pass. How is that even possible? Let me say something right now that might make your brain hurt a little bit more, okay? But I think it will help. I hope it helps. Here you go. Be ready for this. Because this is true. It has to be true. It is not sinful in God to will that there be sin in the world. God can't sin. Therefore, it is not sinful in him to will that there would be sin in this world. Also, we do not need to be able to understand or fathom this mystery. <laughs> you don't have to comprehend it. You don't even have to like it. But we might just be content with our minds by saying over the sin of Adam and Eve, exactly what Joseph said over the sin of his brothers when they sold him into slavery. Remember what Joseph said in Genesis, late in the chapters of Genesis, like 50, 51, 50, somewhere around there where Joseph gets kidnapped by his brothers. He's sold into slavery because they hate him and they're jealous of him. And Joseph later says, hey, you know what? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Hmm. Think about that. I mean, Paul later says that, that the enemy, if, if the enemy of God, if, if Satan had known that God would use the greatest travesty in all the universe, the crucifixion, the slaughter of the Lamb of God, the crucifixion of God, of Christ, to save the world, he never would have done it. God used the hor most horrible thing in the world for the most beautiful thing that we experience. As for you, Adam and Eve... The sin that you brought into this world, you meant evil against God as you rejected him as your father and as your treasure. That sin is evil, yes, but what an infinite good God planned through your fall. What's, what's the, the scripture say in Genesis? The seed of the woman one day bruised the head of the serpent, by, and by his suffering he will display what? The greatness of the glory of the grace of God. You have not undone his plan with sin. Just as Joseph, who was willingly sold into, into, sla you know, sold into slavery by the sin of his brothers, Adam and Eve sold them, their souls for the, the sin of an apple or a fruit, whatever it was. They have fallen into sin, and now the whole stage is set for the perfect display of God's greatness because his grace can now come. So not only did sin enter the world, but through sin comes what? Suffering and death. Paul tells us that God subjected the world to futility and corruption under his 
holy curse. And he, and he put it like this in Romans uh, chapter 8, verses uh, 23, uh, verse 20 through 23. Listen to this. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Who subjected the creation to futility? God. He's sovereign. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So, when sin entered the world, we know horrible things followed, right? Horrible, horrible things. Diseases, defects, disabilities, natural catastrophes, human atrocities, all sorts of unimaginable things. From the youngest infant these things happened to, to the oldest man or woman, from the nastiest crook in the universe to the sweetest saint. They, suffering is no respecter of persons. We know that's what happened when suffering comes into the world. And that's why Paul said in Romans 8, 23, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. Why? As we await eagerly as adopt for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Ezekiel tells us, and uh, the prophet Ezekiel in the Old Testament tells us that God does not delight in the suffering of his people. Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 33, 11, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I have no, I don't take pleasure in this. And Jeremiah gives us a glimpse into uh, God's mind and his complexity in, uh, in lamentations as he cries out, uh, though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve the children of men. Literally, it says, he does not from his heart. He does, from, he does not from his heart, the Hebrew word is there, afflict or grieve the children of men. So, so get this. If, if we can get this. He ordains that suffering come Lamentations 3, though he caused grief, but his delight is not in the suffering, but in the purpose of creation itself. And the purpose of creation itself is what? The display of his glory, of his grace. And that comes in the suffering of Christ for the salvation of sinners. So the whole stage has been set. The drama of redemptive history begins to unfold. Sin is now in its full and deadly force. Suffering and death are present and they're ready to consume the Son of God when he comes into this, earth, into this world. All things are now in place for the greatest possible display of the glory of the grace of God. So therefore, in the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world to suffer in the place of sinners. And every dimension of his saving work on the cross, every, it was all accomplished, how? Through suffering. In the life and death of Jesus, 
Suffering finds its ultimate purpose and ultimate explanation. Suffering exists so that Christ might display the greatness of the glory of God and his grace. And he does it by suffering in himself to overcome our suffering. Everything. Everything that Christ accomplished for us sinners, he accomplished it by suffering. Why is suffering so important? It's how our grace was accomplished. And listen, if that's true, then everything that we will ever enjoy will come to us because of suffering. So before we conclude, all right, I want to consider just like really quick seven ways that the glory of God's grace is displayed in the achievements of Christ by suffering, okay? So here are, the, here are, here are seven ways. So just if, if we're not yet convinced about why suffering exists, here are seven things that happened through suffering. Galatians 3.13. I'll, I'll go to them real quick because I actually have them in my notes, so I'm just going to pop on them real quick here. Christ absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf, and he did it by suffering. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So the wrath of God that should have caused our eternal suffering fell on Christ. And that is the glory of grace. And it could only come, how? Through his suffering. Second, 1 Peter 2.24, Christ bore our sins he wore our sins in his body, and in doing so, he purchased our forgiveness. And how did it happen? Through suffering. Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That was, in fact, written way before Christ even came, 700 years or so before Christ came and died on the cross. That was written. That was prophesied. So the sins that should have crushed us, that should have crushed us under the weight of our guilt, those things, that was all transferred to Christ. Those sins were transferred to Christ. This is the glory of grace, and it could only come through suffering. Number three, Christ provided a perfect righteousness for us that becomes ours. So we talked about last week, righteousness that, that is purchased for us so that we appear righteous before God. Before we can even act rightly, we need the righteousness of Christ. Christ purchased that, and how did he do it? Through suffering. Philippians 2, 7 and 8. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So the obedience of Christ is by, you know, by which we are counted righteous, Romans 5 says, had to be an obedience unto death. So that obedience, it wasn't just being obedient to God. It had to be obedient unto death, even death on a cross, Paul says. And this was the glory of grace that would only come by suffering. Number four, Christ defeated death. He defeated death. We know that. He rose and he did it by suffering death. <laughs> Hebrews 2 Verses 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through, who, who through fear of death 
were subject to lifelong slavery. 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the glory of grace, and it could only come through suffering. Number five, he disarmed Satan. How did he do that? Through suffering. Colossians 2, 14. This was a... A, a list of, 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 of a, rec, a record of debts against us. Paul says there's a, there's a whole record of debt that is held against us. And it says this, and this is where the verse picks up in verse 14. He set it aside. He set that record aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So with the record of all of our law-breaking nailed to the cross and canceled, the power of Satan to destroy us then is broken. So Satan has only one weapon that can damn all of us to hell. What is it? Unforgiven sin. And so the weapon that Satan has, Christ stripped it away from his hand when he died on the cross, and this is the glory of grace. How did it happen? It had to come through suffering. Number six. Christ purchases the final healing for all of his people, and he did it by suffering. Isaiah 53, 5, a scripture that I already read, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we're healed. The stripes that he wore on his back when they, when they lashed him. Revelation 7, 17 the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So the lamb of God was slaughtered. We know that the lamb was then raised from the dead and the lamb together with the father will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So what you suffer is wiped away because of his suffering. This is the glory of his grace and it could only come through his suffering. And finally, the seventh one is this. Christ will finally bring us to God, and he'll do it by his suffering. 1 Peter 3, 18. Christ also suffered once for sins. It's kind of like, I picture like the days in the Jewish temples where animals run around everywhere. Yeah. Don't worry, kitty, we're not going to sacrifice you. Although sometimes I want to. Sorry. First Peter 3.18, <laughs> he doesn't like the kitty either. <laughs> we'll try again. First Peter 3.18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So the ultimate achievement of the cross is not freedom from sickness and disease. Think about that. The ultimate achievement of the cross is not freedom from sickness. It's not freedom from suffering. It's not freedom from all the things that you might be afflicted with here. The ultimate achievement of the cross is fellowship with God. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. This is what we were made for, seeing 
and cherishing and showing the world the glory of God. The glory of God is the glory of his grace. The greatest way that we could see the glory of God is to see and know and experience his grace. And the only way his grace could come is by suffering. So the ultimate purpose of this universe is to display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God. And the highest, clearest, most sure display of that glory is in the suffering of the best person in the universe for millions of undeserving sinners. Jesus Christ, in his suffering, displays the greatness of God's glory in his grace better than any other thing that could possibly have happened. Therefore, that was God's plan from the beginning. And so what that means for us, the ultimate reason that suffering exists in the universe is so that Christ might display the greatness of the glory of the grace of God by suffering in himself in order to overcome our suffering. And when he overcomes our suffering, it brings about the praise of the glory of the grace of God in our lives. You see, Jesus took the suffering that we deserved. And so his grace, through his grace, God's glory is revealed. When we praise him because of that, what happens? His glory is revealed. And when his glory is revealed, people see him. And when people see him, they then have the opportunity to have purpose and meaning in their suffering as well. Otherwise, there is no purpose or meaning in anyone's suffering. And they ask, why? Why does this exist? Why does it happen? It began with Christ that you might see his glory. That is why God is all about his glory. It is why God is all about his glory. Because it's his glory that overcomes our suffering. His glory is what overcomes our suffering. And so... While when we began, you might be wondering, this doesn't sound like God is for us. Oh, trust me, he's for you. This whole message has been about how God is for us. He is for us. Because in his suffering, our suffering is overcome. And when we recognize that, and his grace is seen in the rest of the world, I mean, his glory is seen in the world, then grace comes for those who have never experienced it before. And therefore, then what happens is their suffering then has meaning. My prayer is that you believe this and that you would praise him because of it. You may even need to go back and listen to this sermon again a, a time or two just to, um, there may have been a few times when I said some things that, that made you go, I don't know, I'm gonna scratch my head about that. Um, but get your Bible out, dig in, and see, um, again, those scriptures that we read. Um, because look, um, I'm not saying this because everyone that's here has been really suffering. I don't think we've really been suffering, I mean, honestly. over. I mean, maybe you have suffered. Maybe you've had family members that suffer. I don't want to downplay that. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't preach this message because of COVID, right? Although, it's relevant. It's relevant. And people ask, why? 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 Well, hopefully now you have a little bit better answer to give them about why. I know it was a little confusing at times and maybe a little deep, but uh, um, hopefully it was helpful. <laughs> Let's pray.
And then we're going to sing the name of Jesus together. God, as we prepare to respond to your word today, it's, uh, it's my prayer that your glory would be seen here. That your glory would be known here. And that it would go out from here through the lives of each person that has come to gather here today. As we leave individually, we might continue to praise the glory of your grace forever in our lives. Wherever we might scatter to after this moment of gathering together, the greatness of the glory of your grace would be the first thing on our hearts and that we would be able to confidently know that it comes most, it shines most brightly in the suffering that exists in the world. And the suffering in the world does not have to be something that is experienced for eternity because Christ took it. He suffered to overcome our suffering, the great suffering that we deserve, not just these little things that we still experience here, but even these little things that we still experience here have meaning and purpose and a little better understanding as we understand and know Christ. And so right now, Lord, let the name of Jesus be the healing that we need as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen.